everyone, it is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today we are on episode 68 and we're talking about preeclampsia. So a couple weeks back, I mentioned that I'm going to start rounding out the library of episodes a bit more, talking about OB, talking about peds, talking about mental health. So it's not always just adult med surge. So I hope that you find this helpful and you're as excited about it as I am. So preeclampsia, what is it? So preeclampsia is the precursor to eclampsia. So eclampsia is this very serious, often fatal condition in pregnancy where uncontrolled hypertension causes mom to have seizures. So preeclampsia refers to that hypertensive state during pregnancy or the postpartum period that precedes the eclampsia episode. So we'll start by talking about how it's diagnosed, and then we'll move into what the criteria are, the signs and symptoms, how it's treated, and the risk factors and complications. So first, we're going to start by talking about how it is diagnosed. So the hallmark signs of preeclampsia is hypertension with proteinuria, however, ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, no longer require proteinuria as part of the diagnostic criteria, but just know that your exams and your textbooks, sometimes things aren't as up to date as current guidelines. So your exam, your professor, all of it may say hypertension with protein in the urine. So if they're telling you that, you go with that, but just know that in your patients, you may not see protein in the urine and they could still have preeclampsia. So the new guidelines from ACOG don't require proteinuria. They, the data is showing basically that organ damage to the kidneys and to the liver can be present even if you don't see protein in the urine. So be aware though, your questions will likely say hypertension and proteinuria. And I want you to think, preeclampsia. But let's look at what the ACOG guidelines actually list as the criteria for preeclampsia. So it is persistent hypertension during pregnancy or the postpartum period, along with protein in the urine or new onset thrombocytopenia or any new abnormal kidney or liver function or a new development of fluid in the lungs, or a new onset of neurological symptoms like visual changes or seizures. So looking at that, you can see that preeclampsia diagnostic criteria is way more than just hypertension with protein in the urine. But when women are going to the doctor and they're getting their prenatal checks, they're always checking their blood pressure. They're always having them pee in a cup and checking for protein in the urine because they are common signs. But just know that you don't have to have the protein in the urine to have the damage from preeclampsia and the condition of preeclampsia. You can look at some of these other things and think, oh, that might be a problem that my patient is having. So the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia. So women who have preeclampsia may report having headaches that don't go away. They may feel dizzy. They even could have those visual disturbances like blurred vision. They may see spots. Mom may also complain that she's nauseous or vomiting more than usual. 
Another very common symptom is a sudden weight gain of like two to five pounds in one week, swelling that's in the face, the hands, the legs. I know a lot of pregnant ladies do have like swollen ankles. This would be more than usual. And if it occurs in the face and hands, this would be abnormal for sure. Fluid buildup in the lungs can cause mom to feel short of breath as well. She may say, I can't catch my breath. I'm having difficulty breathing. As for protein in the urine, it can sometimes be noticed because it looks foamy. So that would be another exam question tip. Mom comes in, her blood pressure is 170 over 100, and she has been complaining of foamy urine. Okay, I want you to think in that case, proteinuria, hypertension, preeclampsia. But again, just because mom does not have foamy urine or protein in the urine does not mean that preeclampsia is not possible because we just talked about all the other things that could be showing as criteria for diagnosis even without protein in the urine. Okay, so let's talk about now how preeclampsia is treated. So basically, this condition is treated based on how severe the condition is. Um, It is a progressive disease. It does need careful monitoring and frequent re-evaluation. So ACOG defines like a mild preeclampsia as a blood pressure in the 140 to 159 systolic range and the 90 to 109 diastolic range. So their recommendation is that the patient's going to require very close monitoring at this period. Higher blood pressures, um, according to ACOG, would be over 160 systolic or 110 diastolic, are considered by ACOG to be in that severe preeclampsia category, and guidelines at that point would indicate treatment is necessary to prevent seizures, to prevent progression to eclampsia. So the treatment that they use is magnesium sulfate, and that is not going to be treating the blood pressure that is prophylactic for seizure control. So this is used for those patients who fall into that higher blood pressure category or who have symptoms that typically precede a seizure, you know, headaches, visual disturbances, neurological trouble. So again, magnesium not used to treat the blood pressure, but used to treat and prevent seizure. So we still want to decrease the blood pressure, and that's typically done using IV labetalol or uh, hydralazine, though it's important to note that studies show that one versus the other is not necessarily more effective. It's more important that clinicians use the one that they're most familiar with. So the place where I work If blood pressure control is difficult to obtain with IV push medications of labetalol or hydralazine, then the patient progresses to a continuous nicardipine infusion. And in patients that don't have an IV, they can take um, nifedipine PO, which is a calcium channel blocker that works really well in this case. So just know magnesium is for seizure prophylaxis and treatment. And then we're going to treat the blood pressure. IV is probably preferred, but nifedipine PO often works as well. And then in some cases, they may need to deliver the baby. Preeclampsia should resolve after delivery, though um, it is important to know it can develop in that postpartum period. So in some cases where it's severe, 
immediate delivery of baby is necessary to alleviate that hypertensive condition. Um, Once the baby is born, that magnesium infusion is going to continue for a little bit and mom's going to be monitored for a few weeks up to, I think like six weeks, this can occur after birth. So we want to make sure that mom is doing well even after she has the baby. And then you might be thinking, well, who's at risk for preeclampsia? Anybody with a history or a family history of preeclampsia is at risk. Also, moms who are pregnant with multiples is at higher risk. Anyone with a history of hypertension or autoimmune diseases or kidney disease, higher risks for preeclampsia. Moms older than 35, which does not seem that old to me, but apparently that's old for a pregnant mom. In vitro fertilization puts mom at higher risk, as does obesity. So we know what the signs are, the diagnostic criteria, the risk factors, how it's treated. Let's talk about some of the complications of preeclampsia. So if if not treated, preeclampsia can have some bad problems for mom and for baby. So obviously the first complication is going to be eclampsia, those seizures. So when preeclampsia gets to that point, then emergent delivery is typically necessary. Could also be preterm birth. Low birth weight comes along with that as well. These are significant concerns when the condition is severe and we have to necessitate an early delivery. Baby could also have low birth weight due to growth restriction because that uh, placenta is not getting good blood flow all the time. Another condition is called HELP, which is a complex and it is life-threatening syndrome, and it is an acronym that stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets, and preeclampsia can progress to HELP syndrome. Can also have placental abruption, which is where the placenta separates from the wall of the uterus prior to delivery, and that can cause a life-threatening hemorrhage. And then stroke can occur due to the effects of hypertension. So there's a lot of things that can happen if preeclampsia is left untreated. So there you go, a short, short episode on preeclampsia. I hope that was helpful for you guys and that you enjoyed learning about a topic that we don't normally talk about and that you're looking forward to more of those. I think we'll be doing one in a couple of weeks for peds on atrial septal defects, which I'm really excited to share with you as well. Next week, we are talking about imposter syndrome. So if you're not sure what that is, if you've ever thought to yourself, they're going to find out that I don't really belong here, you need to tune in next week and listen to the episode on imposter syndrome. And before I leave you today, I just want to do another shout out to a podcast reviewer. Chrissy2106 says, fantastic content. I just recently found this podcast and the website and I must say, wow, thank you so much for everything you're doing. I want to say thank you back to you, Chrissy. Thank you so much for leaving a rating and a review and letting me know that this podcast and the website and all of that has provided you with value and that you enjoy learning from me because I very much enjoy teaching you. So I will see you all here next week. Again, thank you so much for sharing your valuable, precious free time with me. I look forward to hanging out with you again soon. Bye-bye. 
This podcast is brought to you by StraightAnursingStudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.